Hey, thanks for listening to In Traffic with Neil Rubenstein. I am Neil Rubenstein. Today I will be stuck in traffic talking to Riley Breckenridge of the band Thrice. And also he does a uh, baseball-related podcast and blog and Twitter uh, called Productive Outs. Very, uh, yeah, very good dude. And you will uh, hear some of that uh, good dudeness. Uh, Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Good. You're in L.A., right? Are you? Uh, I'm in Orange County. Oh, okay. Always? Yeah. Born there? Yes. Born and raised in Orange County, unfortunately. So you <laughs> are... But you're, a... but you're a Dodgers fan? No, no, no. You're Angel an Angel fan. fan. Oh, okay. Born and raised, born and raised an Angels fan, with an appreciation for the Dodgers. Okay. Which I don't is, appreciate the Dodgers at all. No, I understand that. Uh, and, and some people think that uh, being an Angels fan and a Dodgers fan is mutually exclusive. But I was raised in a household where my dad grew up in LA, but then moved to Orange County, and kind of adopted the Angels as his favorite team because. He could go to games, and it was five or ten minutes away. So I grew up with the Dodgers as my National League team and the Angels as my American League team. And I guess that's not – you're not supposed to do that. Well, you can't do that anymore. Out. You definitely can't do that anymore because uh, they affect each other during the year, I think. Uh, but, like, back in the day, yeah. I, I, when you were young, I mean, I, that's okay, right? I feel like that's okay. I think it's okay if you're like seven, but uh, oh, yeah. I guess there was like a <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was like a there was a lot of drama. I guess like uh, stadium bullshit and uh, just um, yeah, ter- territory yeah, territorial crap that I wasn't really privy to when I was younger. Um, yeah. and now like I'm a fuck I'm fucking old, so I just like baseball. So I have no problem rooting for the the Astros because I love watching Carlos Correa, or yeah. watching yep. the Cubs because I love Chris Bryant, or the Mets because I love Matt Harvey and Syndergaard. Like I just like baseball. So uh, yeah. people giving me shit about who I root for is like not important to me anymore. Uh, yeah, I mean I am Mets a hundred percent. Like. Uh, my blood. I back that. But, but uh, I do like I. I love baseball. Like I can watch any any game, and I'll I'll develop a rooting interest before going in. You know what I mean? Like I, I can watch any. I watch high school teams. I can watch any. I just love the sport of baseball. I love watching. I think it's. I think it's beautiful. You know what I mean? Like I just think it's. Uh, I don't know. I love. I, yeah. So I, I no, get what for you're saying. Sure. Like, I mean, if if you follow it closely enough and you appreciate the nuances in the game, like you'll find something about every player that they're like, there's something to root for with every player or every team. Yeah, and I, agree. I don't know. Once you grow past the like, Oh man, I'm like, I bleed blue with the Dodgers or I'm a Yankee sin stripe guy forever. 
it's such a great game and there are so many great players and to like close yourself off, it's like the same thing with music like to be like oh man I'm a hardcore guy like I don't listen to that bullshit like there's so much good music out there there's so many good baseball players out there if you close yourself off and you put yourself in this little bubble uh, you're going to miss out on a lot of cool shit and then when you get older you're like oh man why was I such an idiot for so long <laughs> Is Tweed Destroyer still active? Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, Tweed Destroyer as an entity is, I would say, on break right now. Okay. Um, we put out we put out two EPs, and then we did a full length with No Sleep, and the whole. The whole idea behind that project was just to make stuff like as stupid and weird and dumb as possible and like playing live shows was not a not really a part of the equation. Right, um right, right. but the, but the people that are in that band we get along really well. We all have similar interests and uh we all kind of appreciate the same kind of music. So we're like, "Well, why don't we try to make a band that could like play shows and maybe go on tour and like put out records and be an actual thing. So, um, in December we got together and we wrote like 10 or 11 songs. Uh, it's a, we've renamed it, um, to a band called less art and we're getting together at the end of February to work on some more songs and hoping to record like, before the summer and maybe play some shows later in the year. Cool. And it's with, uh, it's with the dude that you do productive apps with, right? Yeah. It's, uh, it's Ian Miller who I do productive outs with and who's in Kowloon walled city. Um, an awesome, super sludgy, like bummer jam band from Oakland, San Francisco. Um, the guitar player, John Howell from Kowloon walled city. Uh, the vocalist is, uh, Mike Minnick, who was in a band called Curl Up and Die, um, that was on Revelation back in the day, and yeah. then I I pulled my brother Ed, who plays bass and thrice, um, into the mix to play some rhythm guitar and maybe do some keys and synth stuff just to make shit weird. Cool, and that's like that's going to be a real thing. Yeah, that's the that's the intention. I mean. Um, we just with the Puig Destroyer stuff, like we wanted to have stuff that we felt like we could play live and that we could, I don't know. Yeah. I guess just stuff that we could play live and, uh, that wasn't like so baseball centric. Cause Puig Destroyer is, is very, is very much a joke band. So we were like, uh, man, we're not going to like go on tour and like make record after record after record. If it's all just baseball and grand core and stuff. Um, so this is a, it's going to be a cool outlet for, it's like a a hundred percent a side project, but, um, there'll be a cool outlet for, you know, the guys in Kowloon Wall City and for Ed and I from Thrice. Are you in another band, like outside of Thrice? Cause like Thrice hasn't toured in like four, four or five years, right? Yeah. I think it's been about, about four years. So were you. Were you doing something else musically in that time, or were you just like day job kind of guy? Or 
Oh, dude. Dark, dark days. <laughs> dark days. <laughs> no, I know. I mean, I mean, you spend like you spend like close to fifteen years, which for me at the time was like, I don't know, like two or like a a third of my life, or close to half of my life, um, building this thing, and it's like when it goes away, you're like, oh shit, well, what do I do? What do I put on, on my resume? Like, how do I get a real, how do I assimilate myself into real job culture? Um, yeah. So at first, um, I got lucky and I, I jumped into a, a drum teching gig for Jimmy Eat World for a little while. Okay, cool. Uh, uh, which was awesome couldn't have asked for like a better band to work for and like a, a better situation to be involved with. And then, uh, I had been dating my girlfriend for like five years and we were getting married and I was like, okay, well maybe this is like the sign for me to settle quote unquote, settle down and like get a real job. So I got a job, which is the worst job I've ever had in my fucking life. I was selling, uh, custom suits to like the richest people in Orange County which I'll let your imagination go yeah, there I got it. but not ideal I mean you go from like band life to like rubbing elbows with like some of the wealthiest people in Orange County and it's like a lot of people say you know you fake it until you make it but like you can't fake it that hard and it was like eating me alive like I could just couldn't couldn't do it. I was wearing a three-piece suit to work every day. I was making cold calls and doing cold emails but and I trying you to sell. Damn good. Yeah, I did. I, I looked all right, <laughs> but I was like, I was like trying to sell suits that I couldn't afford to people that could have bought and sold me like five times in an afternoon and not even batted an eyelash. And it was just, it was such a weird, like, weird transition that I just couldn't handle it. And I did it for a year, and I had to get out of there. So I did that. Then I got back into the teching world, and I did drum and bass teching for Weezer for a while, uh, which was crazy, too, because I had never been around a band that operated on that level of success or maybe dysfunction, I guess. <laughs> like, yeah, those just are like massive weirdos, too, like... I, I can't I can't disclose everything I would like to disclose, <laughs> but it, it, it is it is a the the best like the easiest way to describe it is it it is a very unique situation, and I was way underqualified to do that, but I found yeah. a way to make it work and ended up making it work, making some really good friends in the process, and having a really good time doing that stuff. Um, so I did that for close to a year on and off cause they don't really tour like a normal band tours. They do like weekend right. gigs or like they'll go out for two weeks. Um, and then that's when I got a call from Dustin saying that he was interested in doing thrice stuff again. And then I kind of got into the like, okay, I'm going to go back to being like a full-time band guy or like a mostly full-time band guy and then juggling like 
some work for some clothing companies here in Orange County and just trying to fill the gaps between when Thrice would do stuff. So it was a crazy – the hiatus was weird, weird. And I got married and had a kid in that time too. So it was just it was insane. Thank you. Is Thrice like a fully functioning band now again? Which you guys didn't like actually break up, right? There was no like announcement of like – you just kind of just disappeared from the radar for a while. The kind of, I mean, we made like a, we did like a farewell tour and it was announced as a hiatus, but it was also announced as a hiatus with like, we have every intention of like making music again at some time, but we're not sure when that's going to be. So right. for me, for me, I was like, well, shit, like, I don't know. That could be like, in five years it could be in 10 years it could be in 15 or 20 like i i don't know like i i it wasn't my choice to to put a halt to things so to think that i had like input on starting it up again was kind of like unwise on my part so i was just like i'm not i'm gonna treat this as we're never doing this again so i don't know um and it ended up being like a four, four-ish, five-year break if you count uh, between album releases, I guess. I, I didn't really, like I said, it wasn't like my decision to stop it, and I didn't know when it was going to come back. But we left it, we left it open-ended with the caveat that like we will try to make music again at some point. We just don't know when that's going to be, and we don't want you guys to be thinking that you know, we're going to put out a record every two years because that's not what's going to happen here. How did you end up meeting Ian Miller? Was he like a friend from, from touring days or? Uh, no. Do you, do you remember Buddyhead? Yeah, of course. The website? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So Buddyhead had a, had a message board and back like in the super early 2000s, um, I would waste a lot of my free time reading those message boards and Ian was a very active poster and I was kind of a lurker who was becoming a more active poster. Um, and I met him through that and then we would like in the old days, like, uh, AOL instant message each other yeah, yeah, yeah. And, we and we realized we were in the, like the same bands and, a lot of the same bands and we were both into baseball. And, um, so we connected in that way. And then we kind of fell apart for a little while because I feel like the whole social or social media thing got like a little weird for a while. It was only instant messenger. And then when yeah. the MySpace, Facebook, Instagram, all that shit came back about, we kind of reconnected through that and then started talking about music and baseball again. And, um, at some point we were just like, you know, we have all these people who follow us on Instagram or, or Twitter or Facebook or whatever for music related stuff, but we're super into baseball. Why don't we try to funnel our baseball stuff into one outlet? Um, so we started productive outs, the Twitter feed, which kind of, branched off into the podcast and then we started making t-shirts and stuff and then that branched off into the Puig Destroyer stuff so it's crazy it's like 
something that started online in 2000 ended up being a Twitter feed in like 2009, which ended up being a shitty baseball themed grindcore band in 2013 or 14. So uh, God bless the internet, I guess. Yeah. You know, now that you like said it out loud, like productive outs is like baseball buddy head. Like it's that, it's that sense of humor. Like that, like super snarky, (laughs) like too smart for its audience kind of joke, you know? (laughs) I think that is a goal kind of. Yeah. uh, Dude, I, I, I didn't, I couldn't articulate it until you said, buddy. I was like, oh, my God, like, that's what it is. Yeah. Like, just no, the name. That's actually like, the just, perfect. <laughs> buddy has the baseball. Because, like, just the name, like, you guys mean that name obnoxiously. Like, you, because I've seen you talk about how, like, productive outs is a bullshit thing. Like. Absolutely. I, and I mean, obviously, it's debatable, but like, I think when people see your name, they don't think that you're saying like, "Haha, productive out, stupid this guy is." Like, they're like, "Oh, productive out." That's like a they're probably like really sabermetrically, uh, you know, astute guys. And like, like, no, you're just gonna make like LOL jokes in the middle of people's names. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's and actually I mean, the. The perfect comparison, really. I mean, that's where it all started with Buddy Head. Yeah, no, so Buddy Head for baseball. <laughs> so great. Yeah. I get a kick yeah. out of like, I, like I follow, I follow Keen Archer also. Like I think he's, he's like a funny person to follow on Twitter. And uh, absolutely, yeah. Like I'll, I'll just like, I'll see you guys tweet something that's like super inside joke. And they'll have to figure out what game you're watching. You know what I mean? They're like, yeah, yeah. Like you'll be like that slide, LOL, and I'm like, oh, what slide? Like I have to like, like flip through MLB trainings to like find like a replay of like a stupid slide. I'm like, oh, it's yeah. okay. Let's talk about this. Okay, good. I think that there's something cool about that. There's also like something detrimental about that because we're both like older, <laughs> older dudes, like. I'm 41. Holy fuck. I'm 41. Uh, I think Ian's like in his mid to late forties. And like, I think there's something about dad jokes where there are so many layers to dad jokes that that's why they're not funny anymore. Like my dad, my, my dad would tell the shittiest jokes for, my entire childhood, I'd be like, oh, my God, Dad, that's so bad. And then I started to get older, and I was like, oh, wait, this is like a five-layer joke. Like, you got to peel this back and peel this back, and then, like, it's some weird, like, play on words, and then this. And it's like you have to go so deep to uncover it that, like, if you have the patience to uncover it, it's super funny. But if you're just trying to, like, evaluate that joke on the surface, you're like, that's fucking horrible that's a terrible joke <laughs> so dad <laughs> but yeah yeah no uh i remember like daniel tosh like a daniel tosh special before before he did tosh point out he he like made a joke and he was he made a joke about the joke about how he just wanted to make the reference more and more obscure to get to just yeah. one person laughing like i just want 
I just want one person to laugh at this show. And, and that's like, that's kind of what you guys do sometimes. Where I'm just like, I I get it. <laughs> but I'm not watching yeah. the world game. I'm not watching the world game right now. So I don't know what the, who they're talking to. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. No, it's like the artichoke of jokes. Like you're constantly peeling away these layers to get to the heart. And then hopefully the heart is good. But yeah, that was a dad joke in itself. Fuck me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I uh, I make I make dad jokes, and then like if I get called down on it, I make people feel awkward by being like, "Yeah, well, my dad's dead. Someone's gonna do it." <laughs> I've also like, I don't know if it's like something that actually exists, but like after I had a kid, my head is filled with dad jokes, and it sucks, <laughs> but it's awesome too. I. Like the, I actually, the worst, the worst <laughs> shit, the worst shit pops into my head, and I tweet a lot of it, and then people will just reply with like, hashtag, dad jokes, and I'm like, well, I'm a dad now, so, I just gotta wear it, I guess. Uh, I got my wife called me out today because I was like, I, I I eat at the same restaurant by my job like once a week for lunch, and uh. The waitress calls me by my name, and I'm like, I never, we never were introduced. I don't like that. Like, she saw my name on my credit card, which is how she knows my name, but I don't like that she calls me by my name. Like, I don't like how familiar she feels with me. I don't like that. And yeah, and she was like, yeah, yeah. That's right. And she was like, Are you sure you never introduced yourself? I'm like, Yeah. And I was like, And she was like, Well, you know her name. And I'm like, Yeah. She said. You know, I'm Bonnie. I, you know, I'll be your waitress today. And she was like, and you didn't respond, I'm Neil. I'll be your customer today. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I probably do. I was like, well, shut up. I don't like it anyway. I still like it. (laughs) That is a little violating, though, for somebody to read your name off your credit card and just start calling you that, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, but that's not, I, I probably did do the dad joke. I probably did. I probably did say that terrible thing to her. Yeah. It's like if somebody started stealing your mail and was like, Neil, balance of X dollars at Chase Bank. That was a dad joke, too. Wow, that yeah, sucks. Yeah, that was Holy rough. shit. Okay. Yeah. My my dad used to say like if I would uh my dad was like a shady guy and I I became a shady guy because of him. Uh, like uh mm-hmm. like my dad and my brother got me doing betting slips in my middle school in like seventh and eighth grade. Like oh, those shit. like like parlay, like like parlay football tickets. Yeah, yeah. I was like I was doing that in seventh and eighth grade because my my dad and my brother were like Words that shit. Like I was, uh, whatever. Shady shit doesn't matter. Uh, but like my dad, like if you were like, hey, hey like Becky Eagles, my dad, he'd be like, oh, Eagles, sick bird. <laughs> and so now I do that. <laughs> oh man. It's horrible. It's horrible. horrible. It's not a. <laughs> should edit this whole thing out. We shouldn't be that. Don't want to. People know that I said that. You played ball in uh, college. You ever you get drafted or not? I never got drafted. Um, I played two years at Pepperdine, um, and then I played a year of junior college ball after that because I wasn't 
playing as much at Pepperdine as I wanted to because I wasn't good enough, honestly. Um, and then had a good season in junior college and then had a bunch of offers and ended up going to Long Beach State, which was a really good baseball school at the time, and realized that I was going to be in the same situation that I was at at Pepperdine where I was a pretty decent player that was going to have to work super hard to get a lot of playing time. And, um, I just quit. I don't know. I don't know. I like, I had no business being at Pepperdine as a, as a baseball player. Like I worked my ass off to get there. I worked super hard to make the team. I worked super hard to be on the roster. I worked super hard to get the at-bats that I got and get the playing time that I got. But I was like, man, I don't know if I'm going to, like, get to be what I want to be here, which was the guy who started every game and ended up getting drafted. So I was, like, still delusional at, like, 20 years old. I'm like, all right, I've got to go to a junior college where I'll play every day. I'll have, like, a full season of stats, and, like, then I can – go to another division one college and then I can prove myself and then I'll get drafted. So I went to that junior college. I played every day I had a decent, decent year, had offers to go to some decent schools, went to long beach and then realized like, I'm just in the exact same spot that I was when I got to Pepperdine, except I have a year of junior college at bats under my belt, which mean nothing to most people. And do I really want to bust my ass to get like 15 at bats this year for Long Beach State and not get drafted and not realize my dream of being a, a professional baseball player? So, um, thankfully, I wisened up at that point and and put it into it. But it was fun while it lasted, and like being a part of those Pepperdine teams was amazing because they were competing on a super high level of college baseball and. I made a lot of good friends and a lot of good connections who I'm still in contact with to this day and got to play against a lot of dudes who are, who spent time in the bigs. And um, it was just cool to experience baseball on that level, you know, even though I wasn't playing as much as I hoped that I would play. Was thrice happening at the same time? Like, mm, no, I'm older. I'm, I'm five years older than all the other dudes in Thrice. So I did the junior college year when I was 20, 20-ish, 21, between 20 and 21. Um, transferred to Long Beach State for 21, 22. And then um, as I was finishing up at Long Beach State um, school-wise, that's when my brother was like, Oh, I got this buddy Tepe and this other dude, uh, Dustin who want to start a band. Um, would you, would you be down to play drums with, with us? Like, and just work on some stuff until we find somebody who wants to play with us full time or something. And I jammed with them a few times and it just stuck. And we started playing local shows and just kind of, snowballed from there and then almost 20 years later i'm here now recording a new record yeah that's 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 crazy like that's crazy that's crazy like i like 
where we're, we have a lot of the same friends, and like I'll talk to some of those dudes, like the like the Taking Back Sunday dudes or whatever, and it's like, or or I, mm-hmm. or Nick Nick from Mesa the other day we were talking, and he was like, yeah, yeah, this is our seventh album. And I'm like, your seventh album? It's fucking nuts. Yeah. yeah, it's insane. I mean, I wasn't always in bands, but I was always a touring dude, and like. Like none of us have had real jobs. Like when we when we talk about real jobs, it's so weird. Like when you when you were talking before about like oh it was a dark place, I had to get a real job. Like what did you do for the fifteen years leading up to this? Like yeah, man. Like all of my friends are in that situation. Yeah, it's dude. It's I mean I wouldn't trade like the stuff that I did with Thrice in the first fifteen years for anything because like. I got to see more of the world than I would have ever seen doing anything else. Like, of course, I got to course. meet more people, more people and like made great friends and got to do just like amazing, incredible shit. Like playing in front of 30,000 people at Reading and Leeds or like meeting Elvis Costello because like the label set it up or like, eating dinner with like Lior Cohen who signed the fucking beastie boys and run DMC and all this shit, like insane stuff that doesn't even seem real to me now. But then when you try to leave that world, which is super dreamy and surreal and then jump back into the regular world, it's really tough. Like what, what do I put on my resume? Yeah. I, I know they're, there are tons of dudes that came from the band world that are in the same, same boat. It's like, well, I was in a band for 15 years and they're like, okay, what did you do? And it's like, well, I played drums and I toured the world and like I helped management with like marketing and merchandising and all this stuff. And then big companies are like, well, yeah, but what did you do? You were in a band. And to them, like being in a band is like, the guy who plays the fucking dive bar on Saturday night and plays like Steely Dan covers or something. And it's like, no, yeah, no, no, like it's, it's, it's different than that. Like we took something that was nothing and we built it into like a sustainable business. And unfortunately that doesn't play real well, like in the, in the business world. Um, so I also, I, I had that problem when I was doing the, the custom suit, gig they were like oh what were you doing before this and i was like i was in a band and they'd be like oh wow cool like what were you doing playing bars on sundays and i was like no actually we did this and that and they're like oh okay whatever and like if i would have spent you know if i had a degree from uh, stanford or something and had been grinding away um doing commercial real estate or something for some company i would have been way cooler in their eyes but being in a band like it's kind of like a joke thing to the people who have been doing the the nine to five uh for for 15 years so that was like super tough for me to try to feel like i mattered to those people i remember saying to somebody that like you could put two spins on it for you. It's a different set of things. But for me, it was like, mm-hmm. yeah, well, you know, I, I toured the world. I've seen, you know, a lot of places. I 
I, uh, I have two gold records and I, you know, I've been on TV a bunch. I've been in movies and like whatever. And then, you know, on the other hand, it's like, I'm 32. I live with my mom. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's it's just, it's this like, and I think some people listening or some people who, who know the band are like, would, would kill or die for any of the things that you've experienced. But then, like, some other people would be like, oh, like, I remember an English teacher once telling me that Kiss were a bunch of losers, low-life dirtbags. And it's like, yeah. like, how dare you? You're an English teacher. How dare you? But, like, you yeah, like, that, the, that's, you know, that's the other viewpoint is like, yeah, I guess. I mean, uh, you know, there's a lot of. Yeah, drugs. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just it's just hard to pitch an entertainment job to people who don't deal in entertainment. I guess like me being a part of a building like a a band and a small business and being successful somehow that's not as valuable as somebody who. Uh, is a part of a company or a small company that builds that company and small business into something that's sustainable. Like if I didn't wear a suit and tie every day for 15 years, or I didn't like rub elbows with so-and-so from this like investment firm or whatever, like that's not as valuable to, to a company as somebody who did it in another realm of, of business. Yeah, right. Which is ridiculous. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, whatever. We're both saying the same thing here, but yeah, you did. Like, you took a band out of a basement. You know what I mean? And yeah, I, like last time I saw you, you guys were like, you guys were playing Nassau Coliseum. I mean, like, that's a that's a big that's a big thing. That's that's a big deal. You know what I mean? Like, you made something out of nothing like that's yeah and i mean and that that doesn't happen without the help of like a lot of people you know like management and booking agents and labels and all that stuff but like i think what people in like the corporate world don't understand is if you're a part of if you're a performer i mean i guess some bands like dudes just play instruments and they have no idea what goes on business wise and then they but just not go, not our not go. our community, right? But you have not to be invest, right? You have to be invested in what's what's happening with your band, and I think people who are outside of that world, outside of that community, they don't understand the work or like the knowledge that you need to have, or the involvement that you need to have to get your band from being a basement band to a band that plays. Nassau Coliseum or something like that. Um, so it's, a, it's not, a hard sell. But to be that, per, like, to say that about a band, like, oh, well, you, you know, there's other people involved as management and booking agents. Like, yeah, but you didn't build your fucking company either without help. Like, you had the security guy and the, and you know, and the bar manager and the you know, the kitchen manager and the chef and the, you know, like you have all these other things also, like you didn't just wake up one morning and you were the, you know, best guy at running a thing. Like you have to have people work for you and build things for you. 
Right. You know, like it's it's, just, it's, I, I just feel like I'm there's, so mad now. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a lack of understanding in that world. I mean, like everybody I went to high school with, they're like, "Oh man, you have the coolest job," but it's not like a real job. I was like, "Well, I guess not," but like it does have its own merit in some ways, you know. Yeah, I mean, we, we do it for ourselves. Different paths. Yeah, we we do it to ourselves though because we say like, oh, we didn't have a job type job. Like we always, I feel like every one of us uses that expression. But mm-hmm. you put in, I mean, you Riley put in so much work. You know, yeah. like you, how many hours of your life? Did you spend learning how to play the instrument? How much money did you have to earn to buy the instruments to, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. if you put all that stuff together, like, that's more work than any of these. Or I don't want to sell people short. It's the same amount of work mm-hmm. as any people. It's a, yeah. It's the same kind of stuff. Like, I mean, if you're a real estate dude and you're trying to stay on top of like trends and trying to stay ahead of the curve. Like that's exactly what band dudes are doing. Smart band dudes. Um, to try to figure out ways to like get their music out to more people or try to better themselves at their instrument or try to be better at, uh, writing songs or whatever. It's the same, same kind of thing. It's just a different Avenue. And I think, you know, there's a there's a percentage of the population that think that being creative is like it's a hobby it's not like a something that you should devote your life to and when you devote your life to it for 15 years and people think that it's like oh man you've been pursuing a hobby for 15 years haha that's cool <laughs> it's like it's super like demoralizing but i mean that's that's like that's like real life. It's like if if you turned around and your buddy who's a commercial real estate guy or an accountant or something was like, oh, man, I've been grinding at my golf game for 15 years. You might be like, oh, okay, well, that's not cool. But, like, you're not trying to be a pro golfer. Does that make any sense? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah no, uh, no, I get it. I they, get it. They, they, picture, they picture your – endeavors in music the same way that they picture like their weekend golf game basically right right no i get that i'm saying yeah i'm super good at (laughs) shitty analogies so (laughs) (laughs) but like really really good at it (laughs) really good i've been honing this for 15 years (laughs) this is my that's actually my hobby is making terrible terrible analogies yeah yeah, super clumsy analogies. Yo, man, uh, I made it. I'm home. Nice. Uh, How was the traffic? It wasn't so bad. It moved pretty good. Nice. So, uh, you know, traffic's still defined as just like, you know, cars on the street. So um, I don't feel like I'm cheating anyone out of anything by actually not being yeah. stuck. Um, yo, thank you so much for doing this. And uh, oh, I'll, thanks for having me on. I'll, I'll see you on Twitter, and I'll probably see you at the New York show. Absolutely, man. Good to talk to All you. Man. All right, be good. All right.
You're a jerk, Neil.